Hello everyone, welcome back to the One Talk Podcast, you're here with your host Ryan McCarthy and today we are joined by Mo Hassoun. Mo is a counsellor and also the author of the book Manifestation. This is the second time that Mo has come on the podcast. On the first episode we touched specifically on addictions and overcoming addictions and identifying addictions etc. But in today's episode we really wanted to do a Q&A and pick Mo's brain because he's able to provide so much value in so many different aspects to life. So what we did was we teamed up, we got some questions together from the community and we put them together on pen and paper and asked them to Mo. So some of the questions that get brought up today, which you can expect is people were asking things like, I want to build on my masculinity, I'm short-tempered, I want to work on anger issues, where can I start? Also, should men choose to chase happiness? Also, why do you think people find implementation on? Why and how can we detach from embodying the beliefs that everyone wants us to live and attach to the life that we want to live? Also, how do we practice self-awareness, mindset and motivation tips, etc., etc. The list goes on. There's just so much juicy value in today's episode and Mo is just a wealth of knowledge, so I'm keen for you all to dive into it. In other news, if you could please share this podcast around, that means so much in terms of just helping this podcast grow and reaching a larger audience and just getting this message out there to as many people as possible. Also, if you could subscribe on YouTube or also leave a rating on Spotify or wherever you leave your, or listen to your podcast, that would be great as well. Also, One Talk merch is available, so please check it out. But without further ado, let's welcome Mo. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. The marathon continue. Later. Victory lap tonight, though. Victory lap tonight. Welcome to the One Talk Podcast with Ryan McCarthy. The marathon continues. That's what you were saying. Saying. Welcome, Mo. How are you, man? Good to have you back. What's up, Ryan? Thanks for having me. No worries at all, man. Um, yeah, I'm really glad to have you back. Our first episode did well, and we've had some Q&As come through for this episode, and I'm really keen just to get straight to the point and answer some great questions. Great. So we'll get straight to it, man. The first question we had come up was, I want to build on my masculinity. And I think this question is quite a broad question. So I'll let you decide on how you want to direct the answer for this. But someone just asked you want to build in their masculinity. What advice or any recommendations do you have? So there's usually two approaches that we take when we want to discuss masculinity, the external form and then the internal dimension. So externally speaking, refining the body, intentionally working on regulating diet, you know, fitness activity levels, these elements are really important. So physical refinement is an approach because the idea behind exercising is intentionally seeking discomfort mm. and intentionally building hardship endurance and intentionally breaking down resistance. And so when that happens, a lot of times there's a lot of lessons that are learned from the body that are transformed into the mind. And so that's usually a beginning piece is get on a physical, get on a physical plan, hire maybe a fitness coach. Uh, a nutritionist, maybe someone that does all the above, and begin with the body, which is the foundation. The second piece would be character building, which is the essence. So like we said, the first piece is form, external, 
And the second piece would be internal, which is the essence. Essence is character building. So from a masculine standpoint, it makes a lot of sense for a man to have his priorities and values aligned. And usually they revolve around three topics, provide, protect, and serve. And so when we're talking about providing, obviously it's not just external resources. You know, um, it's going to have to be internal resources as well. Thinking, emotional support, etc. The second piece would be protection. Right? Are you able to basically protect your territory? So obviously, if you're actively using a substance, you're compromised. And that's what we always advocate for, complete abstinence from any substances. And the third piece would be service. Right? So provide, protect, and serve. These are all elements for character building. Just like in the external piece, there's the, 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 the work with the resistance and the hardship endurance piece. That has to also happen internally. So without adversity, without challenges, you're not going to have an opportunity to practice virtues. So a lot of times the character of an individual is revealed when things go south, when there's a setback, when there's an inconvenience. So that's the true measure of a character. And in a, in a way, hiring also a mindset coach in that realm would be wonderful because these guys could look and secure the blind spots that you may be presenting. A lot of times you're not going to be able to catch your own blind spots. You're going to need someone observing you, recognizing your patterns to actually and have the willingness and the courage to tell you, hey, you know, you're, you're, you have a compromised pattern over here. You're not thinking very effectively. Sometimes just hearing yourself speak, even if you begin a journaling transaction and documenting what elements of your character are weak still. And that becomes a starting point too. Yeah. I think that's so important. Like being able to externalize your own thought processes, whether it's someone else's observation or like you said, with journaling and getting it out of the mind. 100%. It's all about location of patterns. When it comes to masculinity, you know, it's it's this concept of, what you know here, here's what i view here's how i view and i'm just gonna cut straight to it you know i've been working with a lot of young guys that have this common issue and a lot of guys have been experiencing infidelity okay their partners are requesting separation divorce etc and the cause of this to be to be very honest with you and very transparent is the men are not stepping up and fulfilling their masculine role effectively Yep. Right? They're not earning enough. They're not providing enough. They're not protecting enough. They're not serving enough. They're not basically giving. And they're coming into the relationship from a taking standpoint. Mm-hmm. Right, They're coming in expecting to receive, but their job actually is to provide. So it's a violation of their instinctual design. And that's that's what's happening is most of these young guys that I've been servicing lately come in and reporting problems and concerns with, oh, you know, she was unfaithful or she's requesting a separation. Here, the idea is you're not doing or fulfilling your part. You know, your duty is not being fulfilled. And so it forces females, unfortunately, at times to step into the masculine position too. They become assertive. They become dominant. They set the boundaries. They ask for things. And that's very common. And many guys I know that may be listening to this may be triggered, but this is the reality. This is what's happening, unfortunately. And that's been my experience since the last time we connected with the guys that I've been working with. It's been very, very common. Mm. Do you feel like it's because of like 
why do you feel like this issue is happening where the women are stepping into masculinity and the men are not stepping into it and not providing and they're going into relationships wanting to receive? Do you think it's lack of role models growing up? Do you think it's society? Um, because I know in the West it's happening very um it's happened a lot within the West at the moment. Like the men are stepping out of their alignment with their masculinity. Like, what do you think is the cause of this? You know, based on the work that I do, it's it, the variables change. A lot of times you'd see someone that's an active addiction and their stages of addiction maybe catch up to them, right? Because if you go through the stages, use, misuse, abuse, and then addiction. Sometimes the individual reaches a stage of dependence, addiction, and then they become compromised in the way that they operate. In other cases, it's maybe a trauma that has been dormant and a certain transaction just activates it. Um, it varies, it really varies. And a lot of times as well, the absence of effective role models you know, the, the proper guidelines or the mentorship, you know, a lot of times being physically present isn't the same thing as being emotionally and mentally present. And this is a crucial component for all genders, not just for females and males, but this is crucial. Like males, unfortunately, are expected to operate a certain way and figure it out, right? And a lot of times that becomes a survival technique. But like we know with every survival technique, it serves its purpose and then you hit a dead end. Yeah. So when you're thinking about the vulnerability component, men usually have a really difficult time showing vulnerability or asking for help. And that becomes another barrier. So it works against itself, unfortunately. Yeah. But like, it makes sense when you said before, like, first thing you do is get into the gym or get into some form of exercise and putting the body under that and also seeking a mentor as well, like a role model. Because I think it's so important. You gotta, to, yeah. You gotta be willing to surrender your old self to someone that's actually leading the way, someone that showed some level of consistency, someone that has results, right? Someone that you would respect, someone you'd like to be in their position, and so you'd be willing to listen to them. And that's the bottom line, especially for me as a younger individual, twenty years ago, you know, thirty years ago. I, w I, w I had a real difficult time listening to individuals that were older than me because they had no results. You know, they were taking shortcuts. They had access to resources. They had fake respect. But in reality, they didn't do the necessary steps. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we idolize gangsters in movies and that type of, you know, approach because, because it's addictive in a way. It's, in a way, it's enticing. You know, there's an element of power and control, and that usually drives, you know, our egotistic tendencies. Yeah. But in reality, the idea behind clear personal development is separation from the ego and feeding the authentic self. Hmm. And that only happens by, you know, incorporating a physical regimen, active exercise regimen. That's where all the lessons are learned. That's where you begin denouncing you know, learning how to say no, learning how to basically take that next step through the extra set, through the extra rep. And a lot of focus happens as well, because if you're weightlifting, for example, there's like this concept of time under tension. I mean, even at the gym, even if you're going and lifting weights, you see a lot of guys that are ego lifting. They're just swinging weights around using momentum. That's not effective, right? They're, they're basically ego lifting and focusing fully on how much weight they can push around instead of how much intensity the muscle is enduring. So there's a lot of lessons and that's why it's crucial to hire somebody and work with someone that has results because they've figured all these elements out 
and they could help you save some time and save some money. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a good resource. And I've got one more expansion on this masculinity question before we move on. Um, do you feel yeah. like with masculinity, we have this urge to conquer something? Because I feel like men, if they're not externally conquering some form of mission or goal, they end up having wars within themselves if they don't fight a war externally. But I'm more meaning so like the war with conquering the gym or conquering your physique or conquering a mission or having some sort of goal. Do you feel like if we don't externalize that energy, we start internalizing it and then that's when we start getting like mental health issues and addiction, all that type of stuff? Definitely. It's the direction, obviously, of the intensity and the mission. And men are designed to overcome, right? Mm -hmm. um, territorial tendencies, take over elements. That's very crucial. I agree with you 100%, especially because of the times that we're in. So many individuals are discouraged from even expressing um, their authentic views these days. Everything's got to be labeled correctly. Everything's, everything's got to be extra sensitive and delivered in a specific package in a specific way. And that actually dimmed a lot of the masculine pieces. And it's very, very evident. I see a lot of grown-ass men walking around with masks. And these masks that they wear simply help them to cognitively maneuver this, this plane that we're in. It's fear-based. And they even deny that they're in a state of fear. And you could clearly see it in hesitation when they're communicating about things, discussing things, their own personal views, a people-pleasing tendencies, justification of you know, poor results. It varies. From a conquering standpoint, based on the stage of work that I do individually now for myself, I'm working on conquering my lower self. And so that's that's the idea for conquering for me. But again, it started through the through the body, it started through the mind. But then you have to reach the concept of the spiritual realm as well. In order for you to receive a higher plane and increase your frequency, you have to understand how to separate conquering, right, and surrendering. And there's like this beautiful blend that if you really tap into it, like you get to actually tap into these high frequencies conquering and surrendering and surrendering unfortunately has a really negative uh <laughs> like connotation to it but in, but you're not surrendering to something you are surrendering something there's a lot of peace and that's to that the as change well. uh -huh. there's a lot of peace to the surrendering side of it as well because i feel like it can bring the calmness to the conquering Right. If you really like recognize the, the, the messages in the serenity prayer, right? Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So obviously that prayer is very fully balanced. It states there is elements that you can change and there's elements that you just can't. So you have to figure out what you can control, modify, improve on, and what elements you got to just surrender and fully accept. And that's the idea of conquering. A lot of times when I hear the word conquer, overcome, I always think of the lower version of myself. Yeah, that's great. I feel like we could do a whole episode of masculinity. So I'll uh, move on to our next question. Uh, next one is, I'm short-tempered. I want to work on anger issues. Where can I start? I feel like a lot of young men specifically struggle with this that I've seen with my work. And then they relate, and then it ends up being like a domino effect into their adulthood. Where do you think people can start with their anger issues and short temperedness? So, obviously, anger is an emotion, right? And in order for you to have an emotion, there has to be a thought that precedes it. 
And a lot of times, if you think something so frequently, your brain is designed to take you into autopilot mode. So you skip the thinking and you go to feeling. Anger, based on a lot of the research that we've done and a lot of the work that I've had experience with clients, is a secondary emotion. So when you think about vulnerability and how so many men have a difficult time expressing it correctly because they associate it with weakness, it ends up getting converted into hostility. So there's a conversion here that's happening. So from having a low threshold for vulnerability, it gets converted into hostility. And then anger has two directions. You're either going to externalize the anger, inflict pain and damage onto someone else, or internalize the anger and damage yourself and punish yourself. So the idea here, anger is not a source. It's a symptom. And it's not even a primary emotion. It's a secondary one. So the absence of something creates the presence of another. And so if anger is present, that means there's an absence of its opposite. Yeah. And so, so for men, a lot of times it's much difficult to say I'm sad versus I say I'm angry. It's much more acceptable to, to attach to anger than it is to sadness. And they probably feel more comfortable in expressing anger than sadness as well. Right. And you could go backwards and simply communicate, I'm angry, right? And here's what make, is making me angry. And then you locate the thought. And the second piece to this puzzle isn't just the conversion of a primary to a secondary emotion. The second piece is understanding there's an attachment to an expectation. So a lot of times, humans assign blame and say, well, you made me feel a certain way, right? You made me angry. You triggered me. Mm-hmm. So this, this is very, very common, especially because of the work that I do. I intentionally apply pressure to my guys. The reason why they come to see me or to basically hire me is they recognize their thinking process gave them poor results. And they start to look around and they want to figure out a way to overcome that state that they're in. So when they come in, I apply pressure. And the pressure that I apply is disputing what they're saying and how they're saying it. So a lot of times they have an expectation that because they're paying me a fee, I'm going to give them compassion. And in reality, I don't give them the compassion. I give them compression. And I hope that they learn through that process to give themselves the compassion they're seeking from me. Mm, yes. And so, and so in order for that to happen, they have to start realizing through experiences with me during our encounters that they created an expectation. I did not meet it. They got angry. But how did this whole thing start? You had an expectation. I, in turn, did not meet it. So was it me that activated the anger in you, not meeting the expectation, or you having one in the first place? Yeah. And that's the idea. That's where the leverage lies with relation to anger management. So if someone wants to regulate anger, they really need to become very familiar with the expectation they placed on a person, situation, or thing. And that's how they regain their leverage back. Mm. That's the whole thing of like people feeling like they're being let down. It's because of the expectations they put on people. That's what I said. Like, oh, I feel shit because this person did this or said this. I'm like, well, that's because uh-huh. your expectation that you had in that person that made you feel down. It's like if you didn't have an expectation in the first place, you wouldn't feel triggered or reactive to what they do. And I think it also comes down to like having full accountability and responsibility to your own self. I think that's why it's important instead of you teaching the compassion, you put them through the process where they experience it themselves, that they know their own process of like internalizing that and processing it. Right. This way, when you have a memory and it stays with you, 
<clears throat> the disputation creates a, a little bit of turbulence inside that person, right? And if you force them to reflect and reassess the situation when they separate. Right before I even got on this call with you, my last call was a really rough one. Mm-hmm. One of my guys is very complacent, right? He's doing the necessary things, but he's doing the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm an overachiever. I like my guys to stand out. My guys have to always stand out. So I want them to do more. So in a way, I critiqued what he's doing, which according to him, he's doing so well, and he didn't respond well to it. He got very defensive. And so that moment right there, him feeling like I'm not giving him the validation he needed or the confirmation that he needed that he's doing the work is exactly what he needed in that moment. So he could dive a little deeper and understand the essence of this. Where is this discomfort coming from? How come him critiquing what I'm doing, which according to me is good, isn't enough. I literally said, you're not doing enough. You could be doing more. He didn't like that. Yeah. He didn't like that. <laughs> but that's exactly the experience we need to create and establish in that person so they could actually have a little bit of resistance to use and transmute that energy into passion instead of pain. Because you understand in active addiction with a lot of our guys that have mental health issues as well, they take pain and they capitalize on it because it fuels their addictions. Yeah. And we're trying to get our guys to learn. You need to transmute the pain into passion. So you change the direction of pain. You don't remove the pain. And that's where a lot of the power lies for our people as well. Yeah. It's like energy can't be destroyed, only transferred or converted. So right. It's not getting that's, rid the, of. That's, the, that's the plane. Yeah, don't get rid of Because you see what the term addiction literally means, escape. And people usually escape things they can't tolerate. And what you don't constantly experience or sit with, you lose tolerance for. And so most of our patients or most of our guys that we work with have a really low threshold for pain and discomfort because they keep escaping it. And for the back end of this, do you feel like it's important for people to sit in solitude to be able to actually process how they're feeling and ask themselves questions in that solitude to really understand like how they are processing it? Like, What's some actionable items people can do to really gain a new perspective? If they have awareness, yes. Sitting in solitude without an intention, when it's not aligned with a specific purpose, it means nothing. A lot of times people can be mute and they can be quiet and they could sit and do a guided meditation. But in reality, they're just calming their nervous system down. They're not tapping into deep, deep reflections, understanding the why behind the why, right? Paying attention to their inattention. So a lot of times, in order for you to get to peace, you have to really master chaos. You really need to sit with, the intensity of an experience and then figure that out before you value peace. A lot of times people have fake peace. They just put on specific elements and specific tools and software programs and and they go to yoga retreats. I mean, you don't have to leave anywhere to figure this thing out. Everything you need is within you. Just the idea is tapping in, not tapping out. And again, I'm not discounting all these great resources, but the intention behind using them becomes a problem. You see? Yeah. So this this is part of the concern. Solitude is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's actually necessary. If you're trying to elevate and reach the next state of awareness, you need moments of solitude. You need those one-on-one times. But again, the intention is everything. It's not what you're doing. It's why you're doing it. Mm. And before we finish up on that you? question, I just want to say, like, with the solitude side of things, when I would meditate and do mindful practices, when I first started it, I didn't have the intention to reflect, 
But then once I got about six months into practicing meditation, I started to go deeper levels into my mind and peeling it back like an onion. And that's when I really started seeing the beauty of going into the depths of your own mind and learning more about yourself. So like now when I do sit in solitude, the whole intention is to understand more of self. But beforehand, I wasn't doing that. And I always thought like meditation and sitting in solitude didn't work. It's because I, my intention for it wasn't correct. Right. And that's that's key. That's the game changer. And, and a lot of times inquiring about the why before you focus on the how is it's really going to change the course of how everything is done and how you invest. Mm, everything no. is investment. Everything is energy, you know. And if your energy isn't guided by you, directed by you, based on the awareness that you have, you're just going to be hit or miss, hit or miss. And there's nothing stronger than, than the why as well, especially when you compare it, compare it to the how. Right. And they both, if they're integrated well together, they're going to give you the best results. That's what we say. Align your purpose with your intentions, right? Be passionate about what you're doing. Like feel what you're doing. And that's basically you activating and integrating body, mind, and soul. And these top guys, the elite guys in any business have figured this out. They're fully integrated. They're fully, fully aligned. And in order for you to see how other individuals do it is they compensate by focusing on one or two dimensions and they underinvest in the, in the third. But they're just going to get caught up in time because they're not fully integrated. And that's usually the block that they have to reach for them to actually catch that blind spot. Yeah. That's great, man. Um, I'll move on to our next question. Someone asked, why are you so passionate for the work you do? Why am I passionate? Yeah. Why am I passionate about what I do is the yeah. question. Yeah. So like, why are you passionate okay. in counseling and helping people? So here's, here's my approach to understanding this. And that's why I incorporated a life coaching system as well. I was trained as a counselor and I specialized in treating addiction as well. And I love that part of the world, that part of the field. I love it. But we have to have a holistic system as well involved. The passion that I've developed is after I received mentorship, after I worked under a few people, and they've showed me that I have weaknesses that I have not mastered. Okay. And they had to basically locate the flaws of character and the defects of character. And they said, all right, well, here's the items that we've located. And these are the areas that you need to work on mastering before you actually help people effectively. I took that personally because I didn't want exposure like that. I didn't want to expose my weaknesses when in reality, exposing them was the beginning of strengthening myself, which is the next version that I needed to meet. So it was very uncomfortable in the beginning. So when we talk about passion, about what I do, why I love what I do, is because I was there. I has, have been confronted, I've been criticized, and someone applied pressure onto me, and that was the game changer for me. So instead of basically sitting and masking my flaws, I actually had to expose them, resolve them. And then when you reach that stage, we call it self-actualization. When you master your weaknesses and your ego is actually under your mercy now, you're not under your ego's mercy, you have a duty to actually self-transcend. And that means help others do the same thing. If you want to keep this awareness, you have to give it away. Yeah. And that's where this experience of passion comes in. And that's why I'm so intense in the work that I do. And I take it very personal. You know, I'm not against regression 
but I'm with understanding why I'm regressing. And so I usually confront my guys on this and the response isn't very effective in the beginning because their ego is very active and the ego doesn't want to be called out. But that's just a necessary piece to get to the next realm. Yeah. You feel like shine the light on the weaknesses to strengthen them helps build self-trust and also helps build confidence within like an individual? Definitely. And it's connected to the character building again. Think of it this way. You know, one of my mentors' favorite statements is this. Would you bet on yourself at this stage of your life? Right? And if you hesitate to answer that, that reveals what kind of a relationship you have with you. Right? That's a great question. It is a great question because it makes you think really and process, you know, am I this solid person in every dimension of my life or am I just solid in some? And so in a way, it's intimidating because it's a self-reflection piece. And you don't have to prove your worth to nobody, but you got to be fully aligned with you. You got to fully trust yourself. Am I capable of the following? And if you hesitate to say yes, you need to work on that area. Definitely. That's a, um, that's a great reflection piece to ask yourself that question because it will make people sit and reflect and look within because it all comes down to like our individual goals and values and principles. And you can really understand yourself on a deep level. I'm going to use that from now on, that question. Yeah, solid, solid question. It's a game changer. Our next question was, should men chase happiness? Because I know I've seen some things online that if we chase happiness, it can lead to addiction and instant gratification, instant happiness. But I'd like to hear your perspective on should men chase happiness? Happiness is a very low frequency experience and happiness is for boys, like we say in our business. Gratitude is for men. So if you're tapping into something that's leading like happiness or chasing perpetual pleasures, that shit makes men weak. Okay. Men are not supposed to prioritize comfort and happiness. Their job is to prioritize discomfort and then reward themselves for enduring the discomfort. But in the midst of it all, be grateful for having the opportunity to do it and having the opportunity to receive the outcome of doing it. And that's the aim. That's the highest frequency. I would not recommend anybody to prioritize happiness or perpetual pleasure seeking. That stuff is very fleeting and it definitely creates soft men. My favorite term is is calling most of the guys I see cupcakes. And it's very triggering. Simply because they live a lifestyle that prioritizes comfort. It's like just those instant every mistake. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the issue. Every mistake that has been made by every individual that's trying to get clean from drugs, that's trying to overcome their mental health issues, that's trying to basically change their um, investments in the social in their social circles and employment, they usually you know revert back to what's familiar because it's perceived as comfortable. It's not even comfortable. It's perceptually comfortable because of familiarity. So there's a huge difference. And that's the aim behind intentionally having daily non-negotiable habits and systems that have discomfort prioritized. And as a result of enduring the discomfort, you experience satisfaction there. You get a win there because you were involved in this. And then you collect on the outcome and then you reward yourself for it. It's like they might not even be like satisfactory. It's just comfortable in the moment or it's familiar 
So it feels like it is a win in the moment, but in the long term, on the grand scheme of things, it's not. And like, I'd love to hear your perspective on this because my way of tackling happiness for myself is that instead I do things that make me proud. So I feel like if I reflect back at the end of the day or end of the week, and I'm proud that I did this one, I didn't want to do it. I did this one. I didn't feel like doing it, but I did the task anyway. Happiness will be an extension of feeling proud. Is it happiness or is it gratitude, gratitude. that you feel? Gratitude. There you go. The gratitude is way higher on the frequency chart. If you really, if you type in frequency charts for human brains and you start to see human experiences, gratitude is very high. I mean, it's right under enlightenment. But happiness doesn't even match from an energy and from a frequency standpoint. I'm not saying don't pursue happiness, but why go for happiness if you can go for something higher, you know? Yeah. That's great. Um our next question is, why do you think people find implementation hard? Implementation, uh, meaning the application of change, change yeah. elements? Yeah. Well, it's it's very obvious that there's an obsession with control and there's an attachment to outcomes, right? A lot of times you hear people say, well, why should I invest this much with you? You know, my programs run between $1,000 to 5500 Okay. And that's my life coaching mentorship programs. And the way it's designed and the way that things are set up is very intentional. When you're financially invested in something, you are more likely to do the work. That's number one. And a lot of times they ask, what kind of guarantee do I got that I'm going to get the results that I'm asking for? Just automatically with that approach, that's someone that I don't want to work with because this isn't about the outcome. You are going to work with somebody that has demonstrated over the past 12 years that they have legitimate results physically, mentally, spiritually, financially, from a circle standpoint, and you get an opportunity to work with them. That's, that's really rare. That's, that's the starting point. Number two, you can't expect yourself to get an outcome in 30 days, 60 days, or 90 days you're going to learn the blueprint. You're going to learn the mindset. You're going to learn the techniques behind how to achieve the result, no matter how much time it takes. And then you actually employ these techniques to maintain the result. So a lot of times people are so connected to this instant gratification and instant relief. And, and they're not understanding that this concept requires time. Anything that has value requires time. In order for you to achieve anything, it requires time. And so attachment to outcomes and obsession with control makes it very difficult for our people because they want to see results quickly. And that's not possible. Yeah, It's not like a temporary change where you're doing like a six-week challenge. Like it's a whole life-changing event. Right. It's a lifestyle. The I mean, blueprint. for for our for, – exactly. For our guys in the addiction realm, we say one day at a time for a reason right? There's, there's not even a date that you're going to reach where you're fully recovered from the, from the addiction. It's a daily transaction. It's a lifestyle. And, and so that's what we're teaching our people is implementing certain types of thinking styles that will get you out of the compromised state that you're in, guaranteed. That's, not, that's an automatic win because you, you diffused and you interrupted your old mechanisms. Number two, if you do this thing long enough, consistently enough, it's inevitable you are going to get the results that you're asking for. But that's what's going to teach you patience. That's what's going to teach you delayed gratification, right? You go to the gym, 
you regulate your diet, you're in a caloric deficit, you're doing all this work, in order for you to start seeing results, it usually takes a month plus minimum for you to see some, some change. Even if, you're, if you get a good week, that means nothing. Two weeks, it means nothing. It takes time. And so imagine you're not only refining a body, you're rewiring a brain. And so the way that a brain thinks, it's literally years of conditioning and repetition of certain formulas that gave you really poor results. So obviously, a 30-day transaction <laughs> isn't going to give you immediate, you know, like change in your brain chemistry, but that's where you begin. You see, that's a um, that's an amazing segue into the next question, actually, because the next question aligns with um, the beliefs that we've been put under our whole life, and people wanted to change that. So the question is, how can we detach from embodying the beliefs that everyone wants us to live and attach to the life that we want to live? So basically, just rewiring beliefs that other people have put onto us. Right. And the reason why other people put on beliefs onto us is they believe according to their thinking and their nature that that's what's going to serve us best because they're trained to see you as an extension of them, not even an individual yourself. And that's a common error. And that's something I'm breaking. It's a generational curse, literally, in my with my kids. Um, I'm intentional about how I approach things, what kind of feedback I give, what kind of beliefs I'm sharing. Because what's going to happen is they're going to adopt all these elements. And at some point, it may not suit or fit their personalities. And they have to work on unlearning them. So for me, before I actually started learning or had effectiveness of the learning, I had to actually spend some time unlearning. And this is the prerequisite that's missed commonly. So the reason why we struggle with that detachment is many of us don't spend enough time unlearning. Okay, documenting all the elements that don't work, that are not effective, and making a commitment to stop repeating them. Okay, from a thinking standpoint, action standpoint, etc. But what happens is we have a really difficult time unlearning because that's going to cost us, from a consequential standpoint, bonding or connection. That's that's why humans, for example, people please, right? They violate their own needs and their own awareness to secure someone else's so they could maintain a bond. And it's like a survival technique again. Yeah, it's keep certainty. Right. So self-advocacy is what we aim for then, right? Well, unlearn your people-pleasing and advocate for yourself a little more. But that's uncomfortable. No shit. That's exactly what we need to do, though, in order for the rewiring to happen. You're breaking neurosynaptic connections because that's how the brain works, right? If I do this, I receive this. If I do this, I receive this. And then the connection happens. And the more that you do that, it becomes established. So when you want to break a familiar routine, unfortunately, coping mechanism-based and survival-based, you start to see you're going to get uncomfortable. But that's exactly what you need. That proves and that actually confirms something's happening. Discomfort is a good sign. Discomfort is revealing you're doing something unfamiliar. You're interrupting something familiar. And so a lot of times, assigning the right, <laughs> the right meaning to discomfort would be necessary, welcoming it versus being concerned by it. Mm, and I so like unlearning it. is crucial for detachment. I feel like it changes your instinct over time as well. Your instinct to people please, then be, your new instinct will be to self-advocate for yourself because you're re rewiring those beliefs that you have so you can just be more autopilot on the sense to adapt life to how you really want it so you really are pushing for yourself.
Right. Yeah. Right. And it's a good question. I mean, it's a very good question because a lot of times fitting in becomes a form of coping. Fitting in becomes a form of survival. You know, the fear of rejection is very, very, very common. So a lot of times people put high precedence and high value on someone else's opinion. And they're not actually spending time getting to know and getting to notice in a way that they're rejecting themselves by operating this way. Yeah. And so to an average person, it may sound narcissistic, right? To simply say, I'm confident. And that's the difference between confidence and arrogance in a way, especially when you're unlearning something. A confident person can back up what they're saying. An arrogant person can't. Yeah. You see, that's, that's how you know someone has legitimate confidence or someone has arrogance. You look at their results. You see if they can back up what they're saying. And that's how you know. See, connecting with people ha has to have a new meaning, right? Instead of being fused with people, enmeshed with them, we just need to learn how to be involved with them. You become a participant in the transaction. You're not just engulfed in it. You see, it's like the relationship of the experience not the experience itself. Yeah. Very subtle element, but it can it can be done. It can be done as long as the fear is dissipated, the truth starts to come out. Yeah, because that this actually segues into our next question again. Cause someone asked, how can I practice self-awareness? And I feel like self-awareness would be a big piece in what we're talking about right now. So based on the law of polarity, we know that things exist in opposites, right? There's high, low, left, right, male, female, positive, negative, uh, up, down, addiction, recovery, repent, sin, okay? And so in order for you to understand something, you have to understand that it has an opposite too. So when we talk about the self or self-awareness, we have to know that there's two selves. There's a higher self and then there's a lower self. And a lot of times people say, I need to understand myself. Well, which self are we talking about? Because the lower version is driven by fear coping, survival, getting by, justifying why I'm in the state that I'm in, right? Over-explaining and over-sharing. And the other element is truth-based, very silent, very observational in nature, not reactive. And so those two entities exist within everybody, okay? And the person without enough awareness, they may have micro-awareness, they may not have macro-awareness, they're fully tapped in to their fear-based self, and so they make decisions daily based on fear. And so when you talk about self-awareness, you need to recognize there is a fictitious false self, lower version of me that I need to work on mastering first so I can start welcoming and strengthening the authentic one that's going to come and take the lead. And you have to work on that lower version of self as well and unlearn those habits to start with. I think a lot of people want straight away to get to that high, higher version themselves. They want to reach these heights, but you have to first start with unlearning and understanding that lower version go. of themselves so they can get to the higher self. That's the idea. Unlearning and understanding that denouncement, you know, removal of stuff is what's going to trigger that lower self. The lower self doesn't like to lose. So starting with the mission of, okay, what am I going to lose on today? What am I going to remove from my lower self today? That's how you weaken it. You don't feed it. Mm. And a lot of times people skip that step and they go and they work on the other version. But at some point, the lower version is basically working in the background, strengthening itself to come back and take over whatever you gained or perceptually you gained. Mm. And so that's why you see a lot of people reading books on discomfort in comfortable positions. 
Yeah. You know, we got we got so many people on this planet that have no problem sharing insight with you and communicating things to you and describing things to you. But their life, you'll see there's no application. You'll see there's no results from this content. And that's where the hypocrisy lies. Why? They skip steps. You can't skip steps when it comes to working on self and understanding self on a deep level. Right. Our next question is, are there any healthy addictions someone wants to know? Well, that's a very manipulative question, and <laughs> and I'll explain <laughs> it to you. And, and I'll explain it to you because it's very common. This is a very common one, too. Most of my guys say the same thing. Is there any way I could replace this with this? You know what? The term addiction, in essence, it has a motive behind it, right? An addict is an escape artist, Okay. So the motive behind addiction is escapism. We need to understand that first. So when you're telling me there's a healthy addiction, so you're basically saying you still want the same mission statement, just in a different direction. It's like you're trying to justify it. Exactly. It's not going to be effective. You could be obsessed about, for example, personal development, right? Improving yourself in all dimensions, but that's not. An addiction that becomes balanced because you want to develop in every dimension of your life. Addiction in reality is just in, in its essence, it's escapism. And so if it's healthy, unhealthy, it doesn't matter. If your intention is to escape something, that's a red flag. So I would drop the term healthy and I would focus on the intention behind addiction first, not the, not the classification of the type of addiction. Mm. It's a mission statement issue. Right. Yeah, I think that's exactly a yeah, mission statement issue. Yeah, that's great. Our next question is: What do you believe is the deep meaning behind our human existence? So I think this might be like more of a spiritual question. Definitely. I mean, the person that's asking it obviously is uh, trying to skip steps too. Okay, and I'll yeah. tell you why. Because you should never ask another person what their meaning of life is because they're at a different stage in their journey. Everybody's got a different level of awareness based on things that they've endured, how much suffering they've had, how much suffering they've overcame, how much acceptance, how much letting go have they done, how much learning, how much unlearning. So there's all these variables. And I don't want to sound sophisticated, but I'm just going to tell you my simple version just for the sake of giving an answer. When I reflect on this, based on the current stage that I'm in, I notice the following. If there is a meaning ever, it has to be connected to bonding. It has to be related to the human connection piece. What does that mean? That means I have to become someone of value. I have to become a gift and I have to work on giving that gift away. So acquire and give away, acquire and give away, acquire and give away, not acquire and keep. That's how I view it. And I see it with my clients, with the type of work that I do. I invest in me fully. I mean, I'm very, very hard on myself because I have to stay levels ahead of the people that I'm serving so they could see inspiration, so they could look up to it. And that holds me accountable. So I fill my cup. I feed me so I can give them. And I do the same with my kids. I do the same with my children. I do the same with, you know, various, various experiences in my life. That's the common theme that I see is invest in self and whatever it is that you acquired, give it away. It's like if you don't invest in self or if you don't make sure you're in check, 
Like you're going to end up sending yourself backwards over a certain time period. I've seen that with the work yeah, I did. It's on... only so long you can serve other people without serving yourself. Right. Service is the highest, highest element, but there's a prerequisites to it. You can't give someone something you haven't given yourself. And so a lot of times people skip steps because service feels so nice, right? F service is so rewarding and that's great. But listen, the intention behind service is important because sometimes it could be compensation based, shame, guilt, etc. I mean, there's many, many cases that I've worked on. I've had, um, I've had, I'll give you an example. I've had a young, young female patient that had a uh, miscarriage uh, and an abortion, let's call it. She called it an abortion and it was intentional. And so she believes that she killed the soul. Okay. And she carries that with her. She hasn't worked on this issue. So guess who she serves now in the hospitals, individuals that are basically attempting to do the abortion piece. And she's in there as a referee, as a person that basically connects with these individuals, consult with them. But based on my work with her, she hasn't done the necessary work. So what she is doing is a compensation for an element in her life that she hasn't made peace with. So it's not the service that's the issue. It's the intention behind it. Mm, it feels more so of a need probably to the guilt attached to it. There you go. And that's not effective because the frequency is very low. I'm, I'm all about frequencies. I'm all about alignment. And if I'm aligned with love, if I'm aligned with passion towards whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm not going to make a mistake. If I'm driven by fear, if I'm driven by compensation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a mistake. You'll have blind spots. That all comes down to your intention of life. You know, like if your intentions are pure and you know they're aligned, you're going to get good results from that. That's a fact. And nobody needs to know your intention as long as you're aligned with them. That's what matters. <laughs> Because the frequency is going to be felt anyways by everybody around you. You can't fake energy. You know, like you understand that based on work that you've done, you could sense the energy of an individual from a conversation, from the way that they carry themselves. Why? Because you can't fake energy. Especially for someone that has done the work, you can't fake your energy around them. Yeah, like when you're so aware of yourself or once you've gone through those processes yourself, you can easily pick on those senses, hey? Exactly, exactly. And that's part of the uh, mission statement that I have and why I do the, the type of work that I do. That's why I love the work that I do. And a lot of times I tell my people, oh, you know, do not be, do not think that this is a personal issue. Do not personalize it. Don't get defensive. This is literally me addressing a lower part of you because I want to get to meet the higher version of you. So I'm trying to get, I'm trying to do the necessary things that you haven't done yet for you, with you, together. And that's the issue is, is a lot of times the unawareness is there. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I personalizing it? Why am I? Great questions. Dive into it a little bit more. And then you start to see themes of rejection, right? You're not validating me, right? You see your goals now are compromised. Are you here for validation? And so that's the beauty of this type of work. That's why I love what I do. Because you're working with individuals that have a limited sense of awareness and you're trying to help them develop more awareness. And once they have awareness, they have leverage. And once they have leverage, they have options. And that's where their freedom lies. You put perfectly before to you came to meet their higher self, which is amazing. Yes. Yes. The prerequisites, right? Don't skip <laughs> steps or the universe will smack you <laughs> back into position. <laughs>
These are uh, these last two questions are from me. That's because like with your social media and the people listening that do follow you on socials, like the posts you put up and the quotes you put up are very insightful. So I've picked two posts that you've done and I would like to hear like an expansion of them. Let's so do it. The first one is interpretation breeds self-deceit. Many are in opposition of the authentic states of experiences. Interpretation breeds self-deceit. So think of it this way. If you're trying to interpret something with a limited sense of insight, okay, and the thoughts that you have gave you this poor interpretation, that's self-deceit. And a lot of times that's what happens is people communicate to you a version of a story based on their level of interpretation. That perception becomes a reality if it keeps getting repeated. And so you don't see it as deceit, but a good listener does. And so this came out because I listen to a lot of my clients that tell me their version of things. And they're so confident, right, in what they're saying. And they believe it so firmly that I see it's just a perceptual issue. It's not even a reality. It's not based on observation. But because it was repeated so many times, the interpretation, it, it triggers self-deceit. So the person is engaging in self-deceit and they don't even know it. Yeah. How do we know this? A lot of them would tell you, I'm a master manipulator. Well, if you're going to successfully manipulate someone, two things have to happen. Number one, the party you're manipulating has to be willing to receive the manipulation because they're also benefiting from being manipulated. There's something in it for them. And the number one is you had to manipulate yourself before you're able to successfully manipulate someone else. That is self-deceit. But the person that's doing it skips that element. They don't see that. And that's where that, uh, that quote came from. It really does come down Just to... Just seeing, seeing people... Yeah, for hours, like talking to me about the and, and supporting documentation. <laughs> and it's just self-deceit in essence. Yeah, that's great. Because it kind of, kind of really does come down to like perspective as well, like you said, because me and you, or no, I wouldn't say me and you, but two people could go and speak with someone and one person could walk away saying, oh, I didn't like that person. They seemed judgy. And the other person could walk away from that saying, that person was awesome. I want to hang out with them again. They both have different perspectives on that person due to their own experiences of life. Right. Based on that person's, you know, relationship with self, you're, you're always going to release what you possess. You, if you're full of love, you're going to love everything you see and meet because you understand that everything goes through stages, right? And you don't judge someone at a stage that they're in. You simply understand that's the necessary piece for them at the stage. And you love that because you get to, you're humbled by witnessing this thing. But if you're full of hate and you're a hurt person, you haven't healed. That's exactly what you're going to offer back. People always will release what they possess. So if someone is able to see something in me, you know, I get criticized frequently on social media. I get a lot of hate mail because of how raw and how direct and how intense that I am. Um, I have the ability to activate an unresolved issue in a person, not trigger a person. You see, this is where they try to give me credibility and strength, but I don't even have that kind of power. An unresolved issue in you gives me the power yeah <laughs> you see and that's where that's where that quote came from uh, came from this um this next one um i think we've entered some of it with our first topic of masculinity but we could maybe dive into a bit more if you have more to say in it 
The next one is an aligned man is a rare commodity. Why is it rare in 2023 to have an aligned man? <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. So alignment is heavily reliant on awareness. Yeah. Okay. And if you don't have awareness, how can you have alignment? That's number one. Number two, how am I going to have awareness if I don't have suffering? Okay. Because how can I learn or develop awareness in comfort? Yeah. Not possible. And so that's the idea. If we're going to go back now and connect all these pieces, you will see an aligned person overcame versions of discomfort and has hardship endurance muscles. And that's what developed his awareness. So it's the transmutation of energy. So an aligned person is someone that integrated every dimension of himself, his child self, the inner kid, his his traumas, his wounds, his perceptions, his realities, his beliefs. He, he integrated every dimension. That's what an, al an aligned person is, not a person that's aligned externally. We're talking internal alignment. Yeah. So if you're thinking about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you'd see the basic piece is the physical. And that's why we go back straight to the first question, the first thing that we started this conversation with. You have to master the body. You have to understand how to manifest this version, this refined version of your physique, not just through exercise, through consumption. Because when you're consuming, you're eating, you're consuming energy. And that's what food is. So the quality and the quantity of the food matters. That's why tracking macros is necessary. And that's part of the program that I also incorporate is everybody has to get their macros to match their specific physique, their specific goal, Right, And then every day, they are faced four to five times with the decision of saying no to something and controlling the amount of something and holding themselves accountable for the consumption. That stacks wins. That gives people power and confidence because they're making decisions that are healthy for their higher self. And that's how you start developing it. It's happening through the body, especially with going to the gym. Every time you go to the gym, you're literally saying indirectly, I want to fuck with resistance. That's what I'm doing here. Okay. I'm coming in here and I'm paying a fee for a bunch of weights, resistance, and a free element, which is gravity. And I'm introducing that to parts of my body and breaking those muscle fibers down and feeling some pain every time I do this. Why? Again, hardship endurance. Yeah. That's the beauty of this is understanding the motive behind these things. Not just going to do it because I have to do it. No, no. What's the intention behind it? I'm on my way to build hardship endurance. I'm on my way to build character. I'm on my way to do it. And it's deeper than just a body. A lot of times I get critiqued on the post that I put because, you know, I'm putting shirtless pics and I'm doing videos with no T-shirt on. Well, it stopped the fucking scrolling, didn't it? <laughs> you see? That's the idea is you stop the scrolling, you pay attention to the message because the messenger intrigued you for a moment. And that's our catch. That's what we're trying to aim. And that's the message I'm trying to deliver here is your body is a representation of discipline, consistency, self-love, confidence. It speaks a story. Your body speaks a story. Mm. And so without even saying anything, when you show up somewhere, that individual that you're meeting automatically arrives at a conclusion about you based on your presentation before you even speak. That's your starting point. You see? Yeah, it's so true because the first thing people see, and like you said, energy doesn't lie. When you first see someone, you can tell just by 
how disciplined they are, how aligned they are, just by the parents of how they decide to show up. 100%. And I that's important like- in this day and age. Hundred percent, and especially with the thing with gym and exercise, the thing I found within myself, which I think you may relate to, like at the start, the intention was to build muscle, but say like twelve months down the road, I learned that the man I became on the journey of building the muscle was more important than building the muscle itself. But then right. both, exactly that's what happens to everybody that's in this. Hundred hmm. percent, that's what happens to everybody that I talk with that's been doing it for years. They start to see that. The necessity, right? The the element underneath this. This is bigger than me just presenting a specific way. Because once you acquire a really nice physique and you have it, the game changes, right? The question now isn't to acquire it. The question becomes maintain it. Yeah. Right? The goal changes. But again, you still got to do the work. And so you start to have a different outlook on things. And that's the beauty of understanding. Humans go through stages of awareness. And everything is set up and designed in a way for us to actually pay attention. Some of us don't pay attention. We'll hit dead ends. We'll meet people like me that will confront them on their shit and guide them to actually see that you're not paying attention to your inattention right now. And that's why you're in the state that you're in. It's a beautiful thing, to be, beautiful. To be honest with you. It's a beautiful thing to be involved in this type of work. I'm always say, I always say this, I'm very grateful to do this for a living and get paid for it. Mm, it is. It's a great way to serve the world. The, um, before we finish up here, do you have anything else you want to finish up with or touch on at all? Or anything you want to share with the audience? I would, I would ask people to follow my page. I would ask people to just try to pay attention to the message, not the messenger. I take a lot of time on my reflections and I call them the blind spots for a reason. Um, I'm utilizing these blind spots as an awareness building tool anyways, for my clients, for myself, for anybody that's interested in figuring out ways of looking at things differently. And they're designed to trigger the level of awareness the person has at the time. I'm not writing to accommodate someone's shortcomings. I'm not writing to validate someone someone's current view of things. I'm writing to intentionally make them question what they questioned when they read it. And so that's the design of it. So I would recommend that people follow it. And I do Q&As as well, twice a week uh, on my stories. for for and, and we're working on making this anonymous as well. And so, yeah, just follow follow my uh, my page on Instagram. It's uh, mo.thecounselor, mo, M-O, dot the counselor. And uh, send me messages if you have any questions. I mean, all the questions are free. <laughs> That's great, brother. I'll also link it all in the bio as well. So you're listening, just jump the bio in this episode and the link will be there to get straight to Mo's page. But thanks for coming on, brother. Much appreciated. You're welcome. I appreciate you too. We're looking forward to the, to our next meeting and uh, hopefully we go the same route. The Q&As is, is a wonderful uh, technique. Most definitely. And like you just said, Q&A was great. So if you listen to this and your Q&As for this episode, you want us to answer on the next episode, please message me or Mo and then we'll do it on the next step. Great. Cheers, mate.